Hello, I'm Laura Castleton, U.S. Head of Portfolio Construction and Strategy at Janice Henderson Investors. Is a brighter future possible? At Janice Henderson, we think it is. For 90 years, we've worked to help clients achieve superior financial outcomes and fulfill our purpose of investing in a brighter future together. We know that this means our thinking and our investments are helping to shape millions of brighter futures for the next 90 years and beyond. To learn more, go to JaniceHenderson.com. Right now in Fast Can't Quit, Powell. Markets struggling to end their addiction to Fed speak and Fed policy stocks whipsawing through the session as the chair signaled inflation is starting to ease, but then hinted rates are still likely to rise. So where do we go from here? Plus, the president's war on corporate wealth from chastising big oil and how they use their profits to tonight's State of the Union call for a massive tax hike on stock buybacks. Should American business fear Biden's push into the boardroom? And later, smooth sailing for cruise stocks. The rebound rolls on for the home builders and Disney riding high. The options action ahead of earnings. I'm Melissa Lee. This is Fast Money. We're live at the Nasdaq Market Site. We've got a full house tonight here on the desk. Tim Seymour, Bono and Eisen, Dan Nathan, and Guy Adami. We start off with the roller coaster ride for the markets. The SB taking a big leg up as Fed Chair Jerome Powell kicked off an event at the Economic Club at of DC, saying the distant Disinflationary process has begun, but a reverse course after he noted that continued strength in the jobs numbers could mean more rate hikes ahead. Markets regained their momentum late in the session, ultimately closed near the highs of the day. The three major indices more than recouping yesterday's losses and now positive for the week. If the gains hold, it would be the Nasdaq's longest weekly win streak since January 2020. So did Powell really give traders a green light this time around? And think about what what has happened since he last talked. We got a hot, hot, hot jobs number. And still, he had the opportunity to come out, be hawkish. Eh. Yeah. Well, really was, take it. well, he also tried to explain away the jobs number. Yeah. Not enough people look. So I get it. And this disinflation theme. OK, great job, by the way. And since the beginning of December, clearly this market has <clears> me confused and I've been dead wrong. But just a little bit of math, because why not to start the show with some math? So where the S&P closed today, 4165 or thereabouts, you put an 18 multiple on that, which is historic, decent. You're talking about S&P earnings of about $231, which I don't think anybody thinks we're going to get to. It's probably about 13% overvalued. And I would submit 18 times in this environment is probably two turns overvalued. So explain to me you know, how it makes sense, just in terms of the math, that the market's trading here. On top of which, twos, tens continues to invert to the tune of about 80 or so basis points, I think, on the way to 1%. So... The backdrop isn't great. The market trades like everything's fine, though. Like everything's coming up roses, sure. in fact, Tim. Well, it's coming up roses because he, he gave the green light because he didn't give the red light. I mean, this is right. a case where you have uh, the dynamics we all know. That was an unbelievable payroll number. I'm going to say it's backward-looking data, as most people will. And I, I don't think the job market's that strong. But, but again, to the, the last week's data parade that was an incredible ISM, an incredible ECI, an incredible payroll number. And the Fed that said we're data dependent, and they kind of talked about data on the downside, like we could actually come back from it. Today, I think he balanced that out by saying, you know, this this is reflexive in either direction. We actually could be hiking uh, more aggressively if the data tells us this. But it gets back to where I think markets have this uh, falling inflation backdrop. They have a better than expected job market. They have, uh, you know, Janet Yellen saying something along the lines of, you don't go into a recession if you're at 53-year lows in the unemployment rate. 
Yeah, except for, again, that probably marked the top of the labor market, and I think that was probably yesterday's news. I still think the S&P can get to 43, 43, 50. A lot of this is, guys, math is absolutely right. I don't think earnings are great. I don't think the world's in a great place, and I, I think we're probably going into a recession. But I look at positioning, and I look at where we are, and I look at the triple Qs outperforming the S&P and the SMH outperforming the triple Qs. That's a formula where you have a lot of market cap that can take you higher. Yeah, earnings haven't been great. Uh, they haven't been terrible, and I think that was the fear. And, and you could even argue that was likely the base case going into this earnings cycle, which is why we've probably had this rally. But they have, if you were to extrapolate, declined about 4 or 5%. So we're looking at declining earnings growth uh, and, and multiple expansion, which I think those two things just don't really reconcile. Uh, as far as your, your question about uh, did Powell give the green light? I don't think he has given the green light. Even when he used disinflationary 15 times, I don't think he's given the green light. We just continue to run these red lights, um, and the market has continued to kind of outperform. But I, I, I think what I saw from Powell today, which is a bit of a change of tune, is his acknowledging what the data is saying. I think if he had continued to push forward and echo essentially the sentiments of Neil Kashkari, we would have felt as if he was tone deaf to data that is being released. And so for me, I at least saw someone who was taking in data saying, listen, here's the possible two pass forward. And we are, in fact, in tune with the releases that are coming out, which to me gives it more credibility and offsets the credibility issue that they had leading up to. Up By the way, Dan, he used you need to raise him the traffic metaphor. He, Not, you know, so you got it. You, you know, know, I don't play. That's your game. I, I, yeah. <laughs> Okay. You know, it's interesting. Okay. It is. My Guy says wrong. Right. Guy will play. I know. Sure I will. <laughs> yeah, he will. Um, listen, what are we discounting here? You know, with the stock market where it is, you know, you have an S&P that's up almost 9%. You have a NASDAQ that's up 16.5%. I mean, I think when, when Bonham just mentioned about earnings, I mean, when you look at the major names in the NASDAQ, what they had to say about their visibility right now, the way that they are cutting costs, I just don't think that they think over the next three to six months it's going to be a particularly great um, economic environment. And I'll just say where stocks are right now, where valuations are right now, where Guy just mentioned here what they're pricing for $230 I mean, it just doesn't seem very likely here. So if we have the slightest bit, now Powell said this, and the market has not reacted on two cases over the last um, week about, and we had Bostic yesterday saying yep. this thing. Okay, so here's the deal. If we have inflationary readings start to tick up, and the jobs market stays where it is or in and around, what do you think is yeah. going to happen to stocks? I mean, so I, I really do feel like the higher we go, if we go to your 4,300, I think it could set up for a dangerous situation. And last year, we talked about this. On a year where the S&P, I think, at its lows was down 25%, NASDAQ was down nearly 35%. It was orderly on the way down. We had these, it was never, we never had a bit of panic here. The VIX was only above 30. It felt like for a few minutes, you know what I mean? When it did that, and that was the time that you bought stocks, right? And we had these huge, big rallies. So I think we're in the midst of one of those rallies here. And what makes me nervous is the disregard for the fact that the Fed is telling you that rates are going to stay elevated for longer, sure. but it's pricing in something all different. But right now, things are okay. So isn't there, doesn't it feel like there's a glide path higher, at least for now? We're sort of, we're through the bulk, right? The heavy part of earnings season here. We're through, um, you know, the, the Fed meeting. The next mm -hmm. one is in another month or so. I mean, we don't really have much else to go on right now. And so right now, it looks like the markets want to go higher. They, they see it's like a Rorschach test and everything is positive. You're seeing butterflies and not moths at this point.
well, the dollars peaked, rates have peaked, inflation yeah. has peaked, the Fed has peaked, and, and, and it doesn't. But it doesn't get back to the math that you guys are saying. And, and I mean, forty three hundred is like two and a half percent away. So we look. I, I, I think the markets are overextended here. I'm just telling you, I think they're going to go higher. Right. right. And, and I think those are the reasons. And I think sentiment, and I think positioning, and cash levels. You look at those Bank of America fund manager surveys over and over again. You see where those cash levels are. An institutional community. You don't get fired for losing money on the way down. You get fired for not making money on the way up. And I'm telling you, this is how a lot of guys. So my wife is going to fire me. I'm not getting involved inside your house. She hasn't fired you so far. It doesn't sound good. I'm I'm doing okay. (laughs) Right. So, but but the point is, I'm not trying to trying to say a glide path higher meaning it deserves to go higher or it should be higher or anything like that. Yeah. Right. Because things. The, the way the market trades is the way the market trades. Where you think it should be is another story. What are the catalysts for it? To, at this point, with all these things now seemingly in the rearview mirror, a couple of earnings notwithstanding, mm-hmm. what's going to take us down? What I, I, so it's a fair point. Look, Tim's been saying Could this for a while. Could we be in a speed trap here, guy? Well, I like what Bonowitz said. I mean, you can run all the red lights you want. At a certain point, though, you're going to get clipped in the cro- mm-hmm. in, right in the intersection. So we've been fortunate to run these red lights. And nobody's been coming the other or you way. Or you trapped in a, in a traffic circle. Which happened, if you so remember, you Mel. So, so you enjoy, gotcha. Of course, that's a great scene in European Vacation, where they just can't, kids, big can't get right. Can't anyway. Get, can't get right. Well, can I ask you a question, though? We've yes. been through this exact same period. We, we talked about it. So we had yeah. March, April last year. We had June into August. We had uh, October into December. In each case, when we were at those relative highs, up 15 to 20 percent in each situation, no one could actually see. Everybody was calling. That was it. Okay? So, again, sooner or later... Somebody's going to be right, and we're going to go, and we're going to take off. We're going to make new highs and blow through 4,800, and we're going to have a a new bull market here. And, uh, you know, I guess I would just say this, that as long as I've been doing this, I've never seen a bear market bottom at 17 times S&P earnings, and I've never seen the market bottom when rates have risen as much as they have over the last year. And, you know, again, I just think that this stock market is pricing in a a, a Fed that's going to be cutting by the end of the year. And maybe if they do, you know, we're talking, what, 25? 50 bips or something like that. But the guess, the point is, why will they be doing that? And will that be a great environment to buy stocks then? Well, keep in mind, Powell doubled down today as well. And he said, listen, we, he doubled down on the 2% level. And he said, we expect to see meaningful, uh, meaningful moves toward that this year. So to me, uh, maybe I'm parsing just a little bit too much. But to me, that was a bit hawkish because we're saying, listen, this is going to take time. It's going to be a protracted situation for us to see the effects of monetary policy. And for him to put a timeline on when they expect to see those results kind of trickle into the market is saying, listen, if we don't, then we're going to be more emboldened to continue to take action. So they're not going to wait and see. We can think what we want about the market, and up seems to be the path of least resistance. But them putting a timeline on there in a finite, definite period of time, to me, is saying, listen, if they're not able to reel it in within this calendar year, then look out. All right. For more on Powell's remarks, let's bring in Joe Lavornia, chief economist at SMBC Nico Securities America and the former NEC chief economist. Joe, great to have you. Um, what was your Thank take you. on Powell? He, uh, you know, he didn't say anything new, uh, which is good. I think that's why the equity market liked that he didn't get more hawkish. Um, and, I, and the reason for me he didn't do that, Melissa, is because the senior loan officer survey, which the Fed has and which they look at closely, tells us we're going into a recession because we saw a massive tightening across the board, commercial real estate loans, um, C&I loans, uh, consumer installment loans. And uh, to me, that's what's conditioning his thought process. But he was dovish. I mean, he didn't push back against uh, what the markets been, have been doing. And uh, he didn't highlight the fact they thought the employment report was really something that was going to be sustained. 
What does that tell us in terms of what you see in that senior loan officer survey and the tightening that they are reporting um, and the lagged impact on the jobs market? We had a very hot number on Friday. When do we expect to start seeing that? I mean, if, if businesses aren't getting loans, they're not going to be expanding, they're not going to be hiring, et cetera. Yeah, I mean, ba- I mean, the data suggests that the recession literally could start any quarter. And I know the unemployment rate is low and the job number was great. I would argue the job numbers the last few cycles have tended to lag broader measures of economic activity, such GDP, such as GDP. But we have gone into a recession with the unemployment rate only up, you know, a tenth or two from its low. So, you know, a downturn this uh, this spring, Melissa, still very much is on track, in my view. The yield curve is extraordinarily inverted. Uh, the market is telling you that the Fed is too tight. The, land, the senior loan officer survey confirms that. Uh, Powell is aware of it. Of course, he doesn't know what the outlook is. We're all making projections and doesn't want to become too dovish, too bullish uh, on rates. But I do see long-term rates going lower. Yeah, Joe, 80 basis points. Listen, we went from 81 basis points inverted down to below 50 basis points. We're back, I think, we got up to 80. doesn't matter. We're at levels we haven't seen in 40 or so years. I think we're going to 1% inversion. What does that mean? Because I hear so many people saying it's different this time. What's different about it? Well, nothing really. I mean, the thing is, if the curve is inverted, it basically means, guys, you know that your funding cost, your financing cost is more expensive than what you could lend at. And if, when that happens, credit tends to dry up, which is why the senior loan officer survey is so important. If the curve inverts more, that would suggest the possibility of a much deeper and prolonged recession uh, if the Fed doesn't heed its message. Right now, as you know, the Fed is singularly focused on the labor market. To me, that's a mistake. I don't believe that uh, too many jobs causes inflation. But that's the Fed's focus. So until that unemployment rate goes up, the Fed will continue, if not to hike rates, certainly keep rates elevated. Joe, real quick, when you talk about breaking the back of inflation or you talk about the potential that actually he's, you know, the Fed is pushing too hard on conditions, what's more important here to you as an economist for this economy, though? Um, at least, you know, wiping out the concept of inflation. And if the Fed has to move uh, you know, too far, too fast, much in the way they were asleep at the switch, it, it, isn't that a good thing in the long run? Well, they were asleep at the switch. Tim, the uh, inflation expectations, 10-year break-even rate is, is down around 220, the five-year, five-year inflation swap, all the surveys of inflation expectations, they all tell us that inflation will moderate significantly. To me, the Fed should be now focused on growth, and it should be focused on where it thinks the economy is going. And to me, they, they compounded one mistake by, as you said, being sleep, asleep at the switch, with now another mistake, thinking they're going to keep rates on hold. Uh, through most of, of 2024, which basically, Tim would say this Fed's going to be on hold as long as it was following the 0406 tightening cycle, which was very slow, very, um, very gradual. This one, as you know, has been very aggressive. And uh, eventually the economy is going to really feel it. We're just not there yet. Joe, just quickly, I'm wondering how, if at all, China reopening factors into your forecast of inflation here. It does. It, to me, China is going to help on the good side because the things that are still in demand on, you know, semiconductors are going to help autos and things of that sort. Uh, China is not going to have the same sort of uh, expansionary growth in commercial and residential real estate. So their demand for commodities isn't going to be as high. So to me, I look at the China reopening as a supply driven story that will actually help cause disinflation, not inflation. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Joe, thanks. Joe Lavorne. Thanks, everyone. Great to see you. That's an interesting take on on China. Yeah. Um, You know, I mean, listen, we talked about it a little bit last night. I mean, it sounds like the China trade and some of the inputs that we 
you know, look at to measure it, it seems like it's cooling out a little bit. And, and again, you know, to me, I think if a large part and, and I think Tim kind of differs a little bit of the enthusiasm <laughs> about our market, our multinationals has to do with the reflation trade um, with China. And I just think that a lot of the things that are going to go on with this Cold War, um, as you, uh, you know, an economic Cold War that's getting hotter here, I think that they are inflationary. Deglobalization is inflationary. I think that if you think about natural resources and the way that we're thinking about, you know, all of this reshoring and everything like that, I, I just think that there's a lot of things that are on the horizon that could push us into a recession. And Joe seems to think it's happening uh, sooner than later. Yeah. Uh, we got some news here on job cuts over at eBay. Seema Modi's got that story. Seema. Melissa, another tech company announcing layoffs. This time, eBay announcing that it is cutting 500 jobs. That's about 4% of its workforce. The company says it will let employees know over the next 24 hours. This was made in a release uh, to the SEC. And in that filing, CEO Jamie Iwan, Iwanan, uh talking about how the macro situation around the world the cons- that's being considered by the company and how to best invest and operate so that we can continue to be successful. That's why these job cuts are needed. You're seeing the stock spike a little bit higher here in the after hours by around eight tenths of one percent. Again, eBay cutting four percent of its workforce. All right, Seema, thanks. Seema Modi. And of course, we heard earlier today from Zoom also cutting jobs. It saw a big pop in the session as well on this guy. A lot of these companies overhired, so I want to make a huge, but with all that said, you're not just seeing out of technology companies. You've seen it on the manufacturing side of things as well. All the different verticals are going to be affected by this. And that, to me, does not suggest an economy that's growing. It's one that's slowing down. Rightly so, by the way. And again, what are you willing to pay in an environment where the, the market's slowing down, the economy's slowing down, margins are contracting. We've heard it from a number of different people with interest rates elevated. It's not a historic market multiple, and it's certainly not a multiple nearly 20 times of what the market is forecasting for next year. All right, coming up, a burrito burnout. Mm, mm, mm. We all thought it was blowout, but it wasn't. It was the, a burnout. <laughs> Chipotle sinking after earnings. The headlines out of the company's conference call next. Plus, Bing bots. Microsoft announcing some big AI updates to its search engine, what the CEO had to say on the future of tech. Don't go anywhere. More Fast Money into. You seek the key. But first, you must learn the ways of precision, craft, and performance with Acura's all-electric ZDX. With a premium Bang & Olufsen sound system up to a 313-mile range and a Type S variant with an estimated 500 horsepower, the ZDX is their most powerful SUV yet. Unlock the energy when you visit Acura.com to order yours today. Wouldn't it be great to have all your investment and retirement accounts in one place? Yahoo Finance, our sponsor today, makes it easy. I use it to put my investment account and 401k accounts into one hub and get expert tips that help me confidently manage my money. For more than 25 years, Yahoo Finance has been the brand behind every great investor. Whether you're a seasoned investor or are looking for that extra guidance, Yahoo Finance gives you all the tools and data you need in one place. They're the number one finance destination, producing a holistic look at the financial news cycle, including breaking news, original editorial perspectives, analyst ratings, independent research, customizable charts, and so much more. Securely link your brokerage accounts for a unified view of your wealth, including 401k and other investments. A comprehensive perspective is what sets apart great investors, and it's how Yahoo Finance ensures you have the insight to look at your wealth in its entirety. For comprehensive financial news and analysis, visit the brand behind every great investor, yahoofinance.com, the number one financial destination, yahoofinance.com. That's yahoofinance.com. 
Welcome back to Fast Money. Earnings alert on Chipotle. Shares dropping after the company reported a miss on the top and the bottom line. Same source sales also coming in below analyst expectations. That conference call is underway. Pippa Stevens joins us with the very latest. Pippa. That's right, Melissa. It seems that consumers are finally reacting to the aggressive price action Chipotle took last year. Same store sales rose 5.6% during Q4, while analysts were looking for 6.9%. On the call just now, CEO Brian Nichols saying it was a tough quarter. He noted the chain didn't see the pop and momentum they typically see around the holidays. He said that went hand-in-hand with softer retail sales. Now, transaction trends did improve over the course of last year and turned positive during Q1, but that is against Omicron numbers. Chipotle continues to grapple with inflation, saying that menu price increases and lower avocado prices offset elevated costs, quote, across the board, most notably for beans, rice and salsa. For the first quarter, Chipotle expects prices to be between 9 and 10 percent higher year over year. Melissa. All right. Thank you very much, Pippa Stevens. And don't miss an exclusive interview with Chipotle CEO Brian Nickel on Mad Money. Um, let's trade this burrito Yes, burnout, which is the first time we've used that term because usually we say blowout, good or bad. Well, keep in mind, the <laughs> stock was making a 52-week high, I think, late last week. We traded up the right. levels we saw basically in the fall, and we're failing here. It's a margin story, and margins are now contracting, unfortunately. And when margins contract, I think the first thing you look at is valuation. Does it deserve a premium valuation? The answer is probably no. Now, the question is, is just just a one-quarter thing, and, and some of these headwinds or input costs going to abate? Apparently so. I wouldn't know about beans because, as you know, I don't get beans in my burrito. But some of the other things are clearly on the other side of, you know, peak prices. So I'm inclined to stay with this trade. I can totally understand why people would say it's an old story. Um, they can't raise prices. I mean, I guess they could. They, but they've raised prices three times. I was going to say, they've months. done a good job raising prices. And, a lot, and they, yeah. They get away with that. And, you know, they're... They're helpful dining, casual dining, fast casual, whatever camp you're putting them in. They have had the ability to pass on pricing. You layer in all the things that Brian Nichols done. I mean, the the loyalty programs, they pressed every button correctly. To me, this is a bit of a a small, small, tiny vindication. I've been so wrong on the stock for like three years. I don't think it's supposed to trade at the multiple it trades at in this market. And I think that's what Guy is saying in terms of where where the margins are going. So uh, I think it goes lower. I think this is a case in point where you should not be overpaying for a company who's had some great pricing behind them. This is really not a huge move, given the context of it being close to its 52-week high, right, on the back of a double miss and, at this point. And how much it just rallied. I, I, what right. I think is really interesting, we spent so much time talking about over the last few weeks with like all these announced layoffs, why Guy just mentioned it. We've seen margin compression. Well, here's margin compression. And this company announced, what, a week or two ago that they're hiring 15,000 workers in North America. And that actually got, I mean, that's kind of turned around a little bit if you think about it. But um, again, um, I think the run that this stock had, it's up 24 percent of the year. Uh, I'm surprised it's not down more. What's your take? Yeah, I tend to agree. I mean, I think they have hit a lot of the right buttons. Like you've seen unit productivity, you've seen empowerment of employees, you've seen um, um, all types of moves in terms of like management moves. And now you're seeing price hikes exhaustion. And we saw the same thing with a lot of the other uh, consumer goods uh, and services companies. And I think it's a similar situation. here. I think this has lagged and they've outperformed for some time. I did think for a while they did deserve their premium multiple. But it, but now, to Guy's point, as margins start to compress and as you're no longer, I mean, there's a there's a limit. I mean, Guy, I know you don't eat you know certain things. You don't eat the artificial. No. Things. You don't eat beans. You well, don't you eat know, rice. It's not that he chooses well, not to. I but think this it, is it, out of safe for safety reasons. No, I will tell you. Everybody I mean, else around yeah, Well, that's it. His body rejects. Well, no, I mean, you have to be respectful of the other panelists on the desk. You don't want... 
I will tell you, as you don't care, I know, but I had Cheerios for dinner the other night. It was not a no. particularly good idea. No one here wants to eat Cheerios, beans, or tomatoes. <laughs> My point All is, right. you start substituting <laughs> out, and I think that's what you're starting to see. Wow. Yeah. Uh, there's a lot more Fast Money to come. Here's what's coming up next. The power of AI. Microsoft announcing some big Bing updates. But can Smarter Search give it a real edge over the competition? The traders are chatting up the future of tech. Plus, a war on wealth? President Biden going after corporate tax rates and share buybacks. What his State of the Union means for the state of your money. You're watching Fast Money, live from the NASDAQ market site in Times Square. We're back right after this. What's on the horizon for financial markets? At PGIM, it's a question that over 1,400 investment professionals relentlessly research in pursuit of your long-term goals. Specialized across asset classes, but united in collaboration, our teams provide global and local expertise. Our investments shape tomorrow, today. Pursue your tomorrow with PGIM, a leading global asset manager. Welcome back to Fast Money. Shares of Microsoft zooming higher as the tech company announces a brand new AI-powered Bing homepage that you can chat with. CEO Satya Nadella speaking with our John Ford today. Here's what he had to say. The good news is we start in with already a business that is profitable. And here's the interesting thing. The most profitable, large software business is search. So I look at this and say, look, I just have to earn one user at a time, an incremental GM. I've never, ever felt this liberated in terms of opportunity in the days ahead. Microsoft also saying it will make its chat GPT technology available for other companies to customize. Um, Dan, you actually use Bing maybe for the first time ever today, just to see what this is all about. I, I binged um, chat GPT. And, and uh, I mean, listen, you know, at the end of the day, I mean, we know that like the search business and, and this is, you know, Google has massive moats here. They're obviously making a lot of moves in it. I feel like we've been talking about this a lot over the last few months. And a lot of people in tech are talking about it um, over the last few months. I just can't imagine that Microsoft is going to realize any big gains as it relates to this one product that they outlined today anytime soon. I just sure. thought that up 4% on this kind of news was a bit eye-popping, especially given the quarter that they just released and the guidance they just gave, but it does feed into the narrative that's going on in tech right now. And this is a new, exciting sort of thing. And we're seeing lots of these major platform companies make lots of investments in and around this and make lots of kind of uh, comments about what this means for their businesses. It's just not going to be realized right now anytime soon. This is just the tip of the iceberg, though, I would think, for Microsoft. I mean, they're also talking about how AI is going to make software coding a lot more efficient. I mean, there's so many different applications for AI, particularly when it comes to it almost feels like we're at a point where we're going to look back on this day, perhaps, mm-hmm. and we're going to say this day was like, like the day that Satya Nadella went out and said Azure, and we're going into cloud, and this is going to be the new business. It feels sort of like that kind of okay. moment. And the market is seemingly paying for that now because okay. current levels, we're trading 25-ish times next year's numbers. So, yeah, absolutely. they could be on the cutting edge of something, and if they're right about it, you have to wonder what it means for Google. But I'll say this in terms of just some of the absurdity in price action. They reported their quarter. The stock, I think, closed at 245. It was 253 like a, in a blink of an eye. We said, wait till the conference call. The next day, it was trading 233. 
And now look at it now. Nothing's changed. So I'm not really sure what, what the market is getting all excited about, to Dan's point. So, yes, they might be in the brink of something, but are you willing to pay 25 times forward earnings for it? You, you're not, these are some of the biggest companies in the world. You're not suddenly buying them now based upon this news. Google, I mean, like I, I said this yesterday, um, Google, if anything, this is kind of shocked. Uh, it's, it's knocked. They've spent so much money on AI and, and learning, and they've got the biggest language library of, of any company by far. I mean, they've been investing in this forever. Um, should we be going out and buying Google tomorrow? Look, I think you should go buy Google because I think it's an attractive valuation for a, world, a world-class company. But this is not a reason to go you know, out and buy any of these companies, in my view. By the way, Baidu announced theirs last night. We got another right. guy on the. We've got Ernie. We've got Ernie, which is their the Ernie. name of their. It's so enhanced representative knowledge something, but call it Ernie for short. And Baidu tr- it went up 13 percent. Yeah. This is somewhat reminiscent of the cloud-related uh, stocks that we saw in the middle of the pandemic, where anything that really had the mention of cloud, you saw double or triple in value. And I, and I do think uh, whether they should or shouldn't, we should we can argue the merits. But I do think people are buying Microsoft and the others purely based on this, these AI searches. If you look at all these small cap companies that have had moves of 40, 50, 60 percent over the last week or so, I, I think you can infer that people are the retail community is once again kind of trading into this on the back of this news specifically. Coming up, President Biden taking on corporate America. The latest salvo coming at tonight's State of the Union address. But is this just political rhetoric or should the wealthy be worried? Plus, is lumber slumber over? The commodity surging nearly 30 percent this year. So what does it mean for the housing trade? We got the details when Fast Money returns. Welcome back to Fast Money. Another check in the markets today. Stocks closing near the highs of the day after a seesaw session. The Dow jumping 265 points, breaking a three-day losing streak. The S&P up more than 1%. The Nasdaq leading the gains up nearly 2%. Some of the names boosting the Nasdaq. Zoom up nearly 10%. That company announcing it will lay off about 15% of its workforce. Fintech stock Pfizer hitting a new 52-week high. And Activision jumping after posting a beat on the top and the bottom lines last night. Well, President Biden, just a few hours away from delivering his annual State of the Union address, high in his agenda, calls for higher corporate tax rates and fewer share buybacks. CNBC's Eamon Javers got the details. Eamon. Yeah, Melissa, we're going to hear a number of populist economic proposals from President Biden tonight, maybe none more so than his idea for a billionaire minimum tax. The White House argues that billionaires pay an average tax rate of just 8 percent, and they want to change that so billionaires, in Biden's view, quote, no longer pay a tax rate lower than teachers and firefighters. We'll also see the president propose the quadrupling of the tax on corporate stock buybacks. The White House says buybacks funnel tax advantage payouts to wealthy and foreign investors instead of paying out dividends that shareholders are required to pay taxes on. And they argue that buybacks are a way for CEOs to enrich themselves, even if it harms their own companies. But bear in mind, Melissa, that the president is facing a very different congressional landscape this year with Republicans in charge of the House of Representatives. They're unlikely to go along with a lot of these ideas. So the other thing to watch for here is the reaction on that GOP side of the aisle tonight as the president spells out all these details. Back over to you. All right, Eamon, thank you. Eamon Jabbers in Washington for us. Guy, I know, I know this has got you wound up. It's, I, it's, I know. <laughs> if you want to listen, up. if you want to legislate and pass a law and get it through Congress, no more stop. All right, that's fine. If it's a law of the land, I'm fine with it. But I get exorcised when we start to pick and choose what industries can and can't do it. Again, I mentioned it. Chevron, we talked about it that night. 75, 20 yeah. percent of the market cap, significant. 
Facebook a week and a half later announced Nothing, a $40 million a guidance. Where's the press release from the yeah. administration? I didn't no. see it. I mean, what's the, explain to me the difference. There is no difference. So if we're truly this capitalist society that we believe we are, then you can't pick and choose what industries can do certain things. Pass a law, that's fine. I'm all for it. Yeah, but short of that... What do we want to do? Nationalize these industries? I mean, last time I checked, that this is what they're doing in emerging market countries and state-owned companies. Right. Not what well, we, we, we have nationalized. Them. We did. We did it with the autos. We did it with some insurance companies. We did it with banks. We did it with airlines. I mean, we do it again and again so, and again. We've done it with energy companies. I mean, th- like, like, let's be fair. I mean, well, done, I, th- I, I think that's where there is a right when there's lending that goes on to airlines or banks. There have to be strings right attached. To and, right. and I, but that's not what we're talking about. Companies that are profitable buying back stock are not villains. Companies that are profitable and and goosing their EPS, that's something that you can figure out and you kind of understand what it means and maybe they're not growing, uh, but they're actually able to buy back their shares. Their share price goes up. Um, This doesn't make them bad companies unless they happen to have just borrowed $20 billion from From the the U.S. government government during COVID. You know, but, but they did. I mean, like we threw trillions Ooh. of dollars at, at corporate America during COVID. And before that, we did a tax cut, right, in 2018. And you know what companies did? We borrowed a, bill, a trillion and a half dollars from the future, right? And you know what they did in 2018 and 19? They bought back a trillion dollars worth of stock, okay? They made new records, and that's all I'm saying. And we're about to have a fight over the debt limit, right? Well, where do you think this all happens, right? Like, so again, I mean, to me, we can say it's partisan or this and that, or whatever, and, and I think Eamon made a great point. These are political talking points, right? Well, like, yeah. he doesn't have the house, so it's not gonna happen. Great point on, on t- tax cuts to buy back shares. <laughs> I agree with that. I think a lot of the companies that we're talking about right now that are under the microscope are not necessarily companies that were doing that. I do agree, and this is politics, and it's not necessarily um, my politics or anyone's. There's no question that the tax rates for corporate America were at a level that I don't think we're going to see that low again. And, and I think it gets back to where margins should be and multiples should be for the stock market. Rates were as low as they could go. Uh, tax rates were as low as they could go. And, stock, and companies were as profitable as they could be. And I, I think that's part of the story we have why the stock market multiple shouldn't be as high. All right. For more on the likely impact on wealthy Americans and corporate America, Let's bring in Ed Mills, Washington policy analyst at Raymond James. Ed, great to have you with us. You heard our traders are pretty fired up about this uh, whole issue, as I imagine a lot of uh, people on Wall Street and on Main Street are. But, you know, in reality, is this just political theater gearing up for an election cycle? Yeah. So, Melissa, the State of the Union, that's D.C. Super Bowl. And what Biden's trying to do here is trying to have a trick play to get Republicans offside. It's all about that debt limit debate, trying to develop that straw man where Biden later this summer is gonna say, look, I'm willing to talk about the fiscal house of this country, but Republicans, they wanna let Chevron buy back $75 billion worth of stock and don't ask them for one penny more of taxes. They wanna let this country go to default, but they won't ask billionaires to pay as much as teachers or firefighters, exactly what Eamon said. So this is political theater. It is all about that straw man trying to draw them off sides. I think Democrats are hoping that Biden is the Tom Brady. He's been there the longest, the old man. Uh, But, you know, even Tom Brady has retired at this point. So just to clarify, you don't think this is really a a credible threat. What what do you think is the, the net net end result as it pertains to the debate around the debt ceiling? It's going to get lifted. I think CNBC had some great reporting earlier today uh, with an interview with McCarthy where he said the United States is not going to default. I think that's the most likely scenario. What I see Democrats focused on are tax increases. What I see Republicans focused on 
are some of the spending cuts. I think what we get as a deal is probably that third way. Is there something that provides economic growth? Is there something that provides more revenues to cover some of the debt and the deficit? One of the ways you can do that is through an energy bill, an all of above approach, something that Senator Manchin tried to do last year, something that House Republicans have led off this year. Is that the path forward? That's what I'd be focused on. Do you think, Ed, that that the message uh, that corporate America is using their billions of dollars of profits to buy back stock, does that resonate on on Wall Street? I mean, does the average American think about buybacks and how Chevron is using its its money? No, um, but there is a saying in politics that when you're explaining, you're losing. So it's not about does this resonate kind of in Wall Street, but does it give Democrats a bit of the upper hand? Is it going to be putting pressure on Republicans. So I don't think there's going to be a minimum tax on billionaires, but we have a 1% tax on buybacks. Um, We still see massive amounts of buybacks being announced. So, you know, could that be part of a final solution? I'd weigh that much higher. So I I don't think it's likely, but it's more likely than some other things as it relates to taxes, Melissa. What do you think? How are you gaming out the probability of an increase to that buyback tax? Um, I want to see if there is any tax component to a final deal on the debt limit. And if it is, this would be high up on that list. Um, Outside of that, you know, we're not going to see a corporate tax increase overall. We're not going to see changes to personal taxes. Democrats had full control of D.C. over the last two years. They couldn't do that. I think one of the undertold stories of the last two years is that we're in a low for longer tax environment than what be expected. If anything changes, it's on the edges. Things that I don't think will have a significant impact on corporations or the market as a whole. All right, Ed, thanks. Ed Mills. Thank you. Um, Tim, that's interesting, tying it to the debt ceiling. Well, it, it, if you think about where we spent money, I think this is where you're going, Dan. Yeah. I mean, we gave away 25% of the economy during COVID. Mm-hmm. And, and I think, you know, the debt, at some point, we're all paying for it. So, um, yeah, I mean, like, I think there could be some contingencies and or at least tying certain uh, gifts to this type of uh, restraint on spending. And, and there's no question that both sides, I, I'd say this, and you can attack me from either side. Republicans look like Democrats. Democrats look like Republicans. I mean, you know, they, they, they're both accusing the other of doing something that the other used to not do. See that? That's what we're doing. Coming up, the number on lumber. Prices on the rise, even as home builders cut back on demand. The nuts and bolts of that trade next. And during February, we are celebrating black heritage. Here's Loop Capital Chairman and CEO James Reynolds. When I think about the significance of Black History Month for all Americans, and we think about the role that Blacks have played in making the United States the most powerful, most significant, most productive country in the world, um, we have to understand the role that Blacks have played from the agricultural revolution, the industrial revolution, the manufacturing revolution, the armed forces, uh, and on. And I think it's critical that all Americans understand what we have meant to this country. I think it's particularly critical that young Blacks understand uh, where they come from, where their people come from, the sacrifices that were made.
Welcome back to Fast Money. Lumber prices up more than 32% in the past month, even as demand from home builders seems to be softening. So what's behind this move? Diana Olick is here to help break this down. Diana. Well, Melissa, it's really been a roller coaster. Look, lumber prices jumped dramatically in the first two years of the pandemic and then fell back last year, finally giving home builders a bit of a break. But now they're up again, as you said, nearly 33 percent in just the last month. Why? Well, home builders sentiment finally ticked up for the first time in a year. So investors now see potential for increased demand in the coming months. Costs for other building materials, though, are still rising, but not as fast. The annual gain in building products was just around 8 percent last year. Compare that with a 19% gain the year before. That's a 60% drop in the gain. But again, they're still gaining. Now, take gypsum, for example. That's your wallboard. Although last year's price gain of nearly 18% was more than three times the 25-year average, it was substantially lower than the 23% increase seen in 2021. And other materials like copper, steel, and cement are also up. In fact, residential construction material costs have increased 36% since the start of 2020. Higher construction costs caused the median new home price to jump from around 328000 in January 2020 to over 442000 at the end of last year. And that is why builders just can't lower their prices very much. Melissa. All right, Diana, thank you. Diana Olek. So uh, what do you think of the housing trade, Bonoin? Yeah, I think they can't catch a break, you know, particularly when you take a look at the housing related sector. It's made a, you know, a pretty meaningful rally from the lows here. And we start to see things turn around. We finally get rates that start to not only come down, but start to stabilize. And really, that's what it is, because these companies have got the hedge. And you're starting to see a bit of tumult in the, uh, you know, commercial real estate market. And so you're looking at a home builder and you're saying, listen, this might actually be a leading indicator, a bright spot where there might be some upside here. And I think this might just be might, might be the canary in the coal mine that leads us to see a pause in these in these housing related names in the short term. Yeah, when when you think about when I thought about lumber prices rising that much, I also thought about what international paper said in their earnings call and that is customers are starting to restock their boxes. So it's all sort of this little ecosystem here that we're seeing. So inflation is starting to rear its ugly head again. And, you know, we tried to one of the things that we did, I think, in the fall is the simplicity in the housing trade. And I know it's frustrating, but if rates were going to go lower, which they did in 10 year, then almost by definition, some of these home builders will go higher. DHI was a $75 stock-ish around Halloween. It almost made a new all-time high over the last couple of weeks. I think the all-time high was 109. It traded at 102. Now's when things get sort of dicey because our rates headed back up. Or are we going to stall here and 10-year yield is going to go back down? That's So if you've been in the home builder trade, to Bonowitz's point, I think now's the time to probably start trimming, taking some profit. Coming up, cruising higher. Royal Caribbean jumping on the back of earnings. So is it smooth sailing for this space? Got the details ahead. Plus, could there be some Disney magic on deck? The company set to report earnings tomorrow after the Bell and Options traders just won't let it go. How they're playing the name next. Back in two. Welcome back to Fast Money. Royal Caribbean shares cruising higher after the company posted a smaller than expected loss for its latest quarter. The cruise line issuing bullish guidance for the year, saying it believes it can continue to price packages above 2019 levels amid strong demand. Tim, you're watching this one. 
the momentum in bookings right now is out of hand. And we were, I guess we're just getting into wave season. So, um, you know, I, I do think if you look at the reopening trade, there are certain sectors uh, that have not really played through. This is part of the reason why the airlines are in my lags acronym. Mm. Um, and I think if you look at the cruise lines, they are not all created equal. Those balance sheets are not the same. I think Carnival is, in fact, a, a, a carnival. Um, I think Royal Car- in a bad way. Yes, yes, okay. it, it, yes, Some it is. Think no, carnivals I, I, are great. I appreciate fun. that. Carnivals are fun. They're not bad. Um, clowns are weird sometimes, but you got to be careful about that. I, I, I think there's more to go here. Um, I think this outlook was fantastic. I think margins are improving. Uh, the labor market improving actually for them that they can actually get people and and those hiring costs I think have stabilized. Wave season, by the way, is when typically you book for future trips, like the summer. Uh-huh. So you book now for then. Sure. Anyway. Casinos, by the way, quickly are yes. in that same yes. vein. And yes. Wynn finally got above triple digits, which I still think is probably cheap at these levels. All right. Let's turn to Disney now, which reports after the bell tomorrow. The options market is betting on a big move higher for the Magic Kingdom. Mike Cuz got the action. Mike? Yeah, calls outpacing puts by about three to two on above average call volume. Right now, the options market implying a move of a little over 6% by the end of the week following earnings. That's slightly higher than the 5.4% or so that the company has averaged over the last eight reported quarters. One of the contracts I was looking at that saw a lot of activity today was the weekly 115 strike calls. We saw over 5,300 of those trading for just under a dollar eighty contract. And buyers of those calls will see profits if Disney finishes 5% or higher. Uh, up after earnings. Dan, do you like Disney? Uh, not into the print. I mean, we talk about some of these companies that have, um, you know, they have more wood to chop here. Bob Iger obviously just came back here, and I can't imagine that he wants to get out over his skis as far as guidance. It just would make sense for him to kind of reset the bar um, lower here. So to me, I would not be chasing Disney into the print tomorrow. Yeah, final one. I wouldn't chase it, but long term, I'm actually bullish on this name. I think Iger's going to get things turned around, and ultimately, I think they, along with Netflix and maybe a, a couple of others, will end up winning this streaming war. And they also have the DTC in the park. So, you know, and I think it's a name worth owning. Um, yeah, might be a little choppy in the earnings, though. Yeah. Tim? Well, I, I think the momentum for the media companies is back. And, and I, I think Disney, which got probably way too much credit for growing a streaming business that was not profitable. We now uh, have challenged all these companies to make money. Uh, I, I think Disney is well positioned here. And, and they, they may, I, look, I'm long Netflix as well. Um, Disney has to outperform here. Mike, thanks. Mike Co. for more Options Action, tune into the full show. That is Friday, 5.30 p.m. Eastern Time. Up next, Final Trades. goes on in the commercial breaks. Uh, Tie for the final trade. Tim. Yeah, it's fun. The 1981 NBA draft, we've just done this in between commercial breaks. You could too. Disney's going to do it in earnings. I'm staying long the Magic Kingdom. But do you want to? Bono in. <laughs> uh, yum. I'd be looking for an opportunity to buy on any weakness here. Dan? Uh, yeah, pins. We kind of surrounded that trade last night, and Carter was kind of emphatic here. It traded pretty yes. well, I think, today, given the kinds of pins. Guys. Oddly enough, Larry Nance, who got picked, he was the best player in that draft, as you were saying, Mel. He's a big, fast yeah, money fan. Fast. Hey, Larry. Slumberger, SLB. Stay in energies. Thanks for watching Fast Money. We'll see you back here tomorrow at 5 for more Fast. Meantime, don't go anywhere. Mad Money with Jim Cramer starts right now. This podcast is supported by FedEx. Dear small and medium businesses, no one wants happy customers more than you do. That's why FedEx offers you picture proof of delivery, 
packageless and paperless returns, as well as weekend home delivery to 98% of the U.S. on Saturday and 50% on Sunday. See the FedEx service guide for delivery information. FedEx Ground service is also faster to more locations than UPS Ground. See what FedEx can do for your business. Absolutely, positively, FedEx. 